on this edition of the program, the violence in Israel, the ongoing war and the American response to it. And uh, Jen Briney joins the show to talk about the House of Representatives, which is currently still without a speaker. We process how we got here and where we might go next. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for October 11th, 2023. Justin Robert Young joining you in Austin, Texas. It's hard to do the show that we like to do in the face of such violence, international violence, violence that exists on geopolitical ley lines that could have ramifications beyond the horrific results that we have seen. If for whatever reason, this is the only program where you get any news, number one, reconsider your life choices. Number two, there was a horrifying attack in Israel Over the weekend, Hamas, a group that has been designated a terrorist organization by the United States and other world authorities, made their biggest land invasion attack, ground troops attack on Israeli citizens in my lifetime. Uh, uh, I, I, I think... There is a a qualification of exactly how bad this was. The the body count is still rising as I record this on Tuesday in the morning. Some reports are saying that it is over 1,000 dead Israelis over the weekend. The vast majority, vast majority, non-military. Uh, Horrifying stories coming out of a music festival where not only were innocent civilians murdered, uh, reports of rapes, but also Hamas was waiting in the one road that was leading out of the campsite, shooting cars as they were desperately trying to flee for their lives. They had hidden in bunkers, which is designed to protect people from rocket fire. And so when concert goers went into those bunkers, they were slaughtered. News as I am recording that IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, still trying to survey some of the damage. There's a kibbutz where And this is crazy to say. 40 dead 
babies. And the reports from the ground are that many of them had their heads severed. That is horrific, stomach-churning, horrifying violence. And not just the results, but also the dissemination of it. This is a very 2023 military excursion. Hamas uploaded a lot of video of, of this stuff. And by the way, took hostages. I'm going to apologize right now if this segment is a little bit scattered. Uh, It's hard to put into place the gravity of such a tragedy while also understanding that we need to put this in a political context because this is political. And we're going to get to how things uh, will unfold from there. But I also just don't want to gloss over the fact that this happened or what is happening now as a retaliation. The Israeli defense force was caught flat footed on this Mossad, the vaunted Israeli intelligence agency was caught flat footed. They have seized Gaza completely. No food, no water, no electricity will be allowed inside the stronghold of the Palestinian people and home base of Hamas, who not only put this plan into place, but their exiled leadership in Qatar uh, celebrated. And many people in Gaza celebrated. I mean, this is. Not not far. People in the United States, people in Times Square uh, celebrated this attack on Israelis. And obviously, (laughs) this does not happen in a vacuum. The conflict between Israel and the Palestinian people is old. And on issues as unsolvable as God. Where you choose to draw the beginning of this conflict often tends to portray your sympathies one way or the other. And so I'm going to try to do my best to focus on right now because motivations are something for which can move something that you can agree with or not agree with. We're going to do our best here because I'm not a war reporter and international relations is not my specialty. So we're just going to try to know what the facts on the ground are now and then go forward with it. So when I did my prep sheet for this, there were 900 dead Israelis Over the weekend. And just to give you context, Israel, the state of Israel, is eerily similar to New Jersey in size, shape, 
and population. Both are around 9.2 to 9.4 million. So I'm just going to do this next thing to give you a gauge of how much 900 people dying in that area is. So on September 11, 2001, 3,000 people died in a country of about 330 million. Proportionally, a 9-11 level loss of life for a country of 9.4 million would be about 80 people. And we now know that 1,000 died. So proportionally, this is a lot. And when you talk about stuff like this, you have to understand that it means almost everyone knows either someone who died or knows somebody who knows somebody who died. That's the, that's, that's the, the political element that you have to wrap your head around. There's just not a lot of daylight. So, for example, I once spoke to a journalist, an Israeli journalist. He was an American, uh, Jewish-American, moved to Israel. And he said he did it because he was an adrenaline junkie and that there was no other country in the world that had the kind of breaking news that you could cover that was as heightened as Israel. And he told me that the last year they were coming out of a uh, particularly horrific spate of violence. The time that I talked to him was around 2004. And violence had gotten really bad up through 03. He said in the previous year, based on the number of calls to their emergency services number, their 911, everybody in the country called 911 once. It's not a gigantic place. So a thousand people dying is going to be something that resonates and stays with everybody that is there. Similarly, the reaction from the Israeli Defense Force is going to be brutal. Over the last several years, likely precipitating this attack, there has been increasing casualties from Hamas or that Hamas suffered from the IDF. Things are building. I want to help with a definition that I've seen thrown around a lot. And, and I know because of, I guess just knowing enough Jewish people, but uh, uh, I'm not sure. I want to help out the goy. Shout out to my goy. Uh, and that is something, a word called pogrom. You might've seen it. P-O-G-R-O-M. The word pogrom Calls from the comes from the fall of the Russian Empire when mobs rioted, specifically targeting Jews, families, businesses, homes, murder, rape, death, fire, everything. 
Now, the fall of the Russian Empire, obviously, was not the last time that citizens took violent action against an ethnic group that they believe are causing all of their problems. But this element of mob violence and paranoia is something that in my cursory understanding of Jewish history lingers. The idea that it could happen again. And a Jewish population which has moved around the world, from Eastern Europe, Middle East, to America, is never far away from an organized group of people trying to kill them. Considering what happened over the weekend, the stated goals of Hamas, which are to kill Israelis, and the fact that they targeted non-military targets. The word pogrom, to me, seems to fit. So with that being said, and apologies if I did not describe the situation in, in Israel to your satisfaction. Um, I spent a week in Israel back in 2004. and. Uh, I was sent there by the Anti-Defamation League. They had a program for campus newspaper editors to go on a two-week trip to Poland, Bulgaria, and Israel. In Poland and Bulgaria, we visited various different uh, spots that were uh, important to the Holocaust, that were... um, you know, Jewish ghettos, Auschwitz, that kind of stuff. And then we spent a week in Israel. And I, I've said this on the show before, but one of my favorite sayings that I learned there is ask two Israelis, get three opinions. And that has always guided my coverage of Israel. Because beyond the idea that they have a right to live, there is a lot of conversation that happens within Israel about how their state should be run. Who should expand? Who's allowed to do what? And the treatment of the Palestinian people. This is not something that is settled in lockstep. And so when we have very, very rigid definitions of what is and is not happening, from our shores here in America, a country that is inextricably tied to Israel. I have found that after I left to be a little simplistic. So I am not here to suggest that what I said is exactly the way that you would say, but I will say that if you listen to this show, you understand that honesty is my currency and it's the best way that I know how to say it. So with that, I'm going to, move from the Israeli perspective or what is happening there. I'm going to talk about the United States perspective. Not to say that I am minimizing anything, but obviously that's what the podcast is about. From my vantage point, the United States came the closest to making lasting progress as a mediator in that Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the year 2000, when then outgoing President Bill Clinton negotiated with Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak and Palestinian Authority Chief Yasser Arafat. 
Clinton blamed Arafat for not moving forward with a deal. He didn't believe he was going to get something signed to Camp David, but he did believe he was going to be able to get close and maybe put several deal points in the rearview mirror, up to and including the sharing of Jerusalem, which, according to Clinton, they were very, very close on. When Clinton left office, Yasser Arafat called him to tell him that he was a great man. Clinton, according to reporting, told Arafat, no, I'm a big failure and you made me one. End quote. In 2003, the plan known as the Roadmap for Peace was proposed to resolve the conflict. The plan was proposed by what was then referred to as the Quartet. The United States, the European Union, Russia, and the United Nation. Principles this plan were drafted by U.S. Foreign Service Officer Donald Bloom. And then our next crack at it was in 2013. Direct negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians were reinitiated following efforts by John Kerry to restart the process. These talks continued into 2014 but did not result in a peace agreement. Now, in the midst of all that, We have the war on terror. We have 9-11 and the war on terror. The United States was incredibly reliant on Arab nations during those conflicts. So therefore, any kind of large-scale peace process the United States would want to be a part of kind of got backburnered. But as far as John Kerry and the Obama administration goes, there was also another focus. Specifically, within that State Department, a State Department that is back in power, a lot of the same people from Obama are in the Biden State Department. There was a belief that Israel is not the number one focus of how to bring peace to the Middle East. The way to bring peace to the Middle East was to deal with the chief antagonist. The country that spends the most amount of money trying to destabilize the Middle East. And that is Iran. Now, hopefully we will have somebody on this show sometime soon, if not this week, then next week, to help us untangle some of the ley lines of local rivalries because I am not in any way an expert. So understand that everything that you're getting here is Middle East for dummies. But Iran funds a lot of groups, groups that hate people that Iran hates, even if Iran does not particularly agree with them. For example, Iran is a Shia country. Hamas, which led this attack over the weekend, is a Sunni group. These are two different sects of Islam. They don't really get along. In fact, they damn near hate each other. There's really only one issue that they agree on. They don't like the Jews. And so, money goes from Iran to Hamas and has for years. Over the weekend, the Wall Street Journal reported that the attack on Israel was directly planned by the Iranian Royal Guard. Hamas and Iran deny this, 
although they do not deny that money has gone from Iran to Hamas and that everybody supports everything that happens. But let's go back to the Obama era. To steel man the logic behind their idea that Iran was the key to everything is this. If Iran feels under less pressure, if Iran were able to become more self-sufficient, if Iran were able to have a nuclear program that could eventually give them an atomic weapon that they could feel comfortable because despite the fact that we're not supposed to say it, Israel has a nuke, then they would not feel the need to sow such dissension. They would see some of their meddlesome influence in Iraq, Syria, and of course, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That is best I can tell the general gist of why the Obama administration would want to take this course of action. One, that while on paper seems to get you from point A to point B, involves you trusting Iran, country that has a very, very, very awful history with the United States, one that has killed Americans since its current inception as a religious nation. So when Biden wins the presidency and a lot of the same people in the State Department come back, the scuttled nuclear deal with Iran is begins to be renegotiated, but we have not seen anything move on that front. But the Biden administration does do a favorable deal to release hostages between the two countries and in the process unblock $6 billion in Iranian money stranded in a South Korean bank. Something that you're going to hear a lot about. So whether or not Iran directly planned this attack with Hamas, it does not appear that the time, money, and effort that the Obama State Department put in to their strategy seems to have borne fruit. Add that to a semaphore scoop that came out about a week and a half ago about Iranian influence being embedded inside the Biden administration. Which brings us to Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. This is bad for him. And I don't. Uh, there's a lot of conversation about whether or not he's active enough and all that. And obviously it plays into longstanding fears that people have about his mental acuity, whether or not he is ready, whether or not he is mentally fit. In our era of geritocracy, in our leadership, we have normalized the concept that 
a staff is a leader. We heard this with Dianne Feinstein. That, yeah, everybody understands that she's losing it. What they didn't know is that she was weeks away from death. But her staff is running things. It's fine. And you have, while unsaid, the same idea with Biden. So if he's not active, if if you don't see the picture of him on the phone with Bibi Netanyahu, if he doesn't address the nation, it's fine. He's working behind the scenes, and guess what? His staff is doing most of the work anyway. But 11 people are dead. 11 American citizens are dead because of these attacks. At current count, it might be different by the time you hear this. And more to the point, of the roughly 150 people that Hamas took hostage, there is a suspicion that Americans are among them. The IDF is currently pummeling Gaza. And for every attack on Gaza, Hamas says they are going to execute a hostage. More to the point, they're going to execute him live on television. I don't need to tell you that whether or not they are planned by Tehran Iranian money helping keep Americans hostage is not what you want to see if you are an American president. Specifically, if you're also an American president who has overseen high inflation and we don't know what Middle East instability is going to do to gas prices. But if you want to see what that particular combo does to the presidency, then I would suggest you get down to Plains, Georgia, because there's a man that can tell you some stories. I'm going to be very, very curious to watch Joe Biden's approval rating over the next two weeks. He dispatched Anthony Blinken onto the Sunday shows largely to play spin doctor to the talking point that the $6 billion that was unfrozen would help fund an attack like this. They understand that this is extraordinarily serious. In the Politico newsletter this morning, the reporting said that they are going to assume that what America wants is a steady hand on the wheel. And that's... Good to say. But as we end this overlong segment, I will take a moment to point to Joe Biden's likely opponent in the 2024 election, Donald Trump. Somebody that was said to bring unrivaled chaos to the world stage. A bull in a china shop that did not understand diplomacy. He did not understand how to keep things calm. He was allowing America to retreat on the world stage. 
and that this level of chaos would invite nothing but bad actors to take opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise. That was the foreign policy prong of the argument that got Joe Biden elected. We let the dog drive long enough, put an adult behind the wheel. And while successful in 2000, we'll face a reckoning in 2024. Are you better than you were four years ago? It is something that is said by both front runners and underdogs alike. And in foreign policy, with Afghanistan, Putin's decision to invade Ukraine, and now this, it is hard to say that the world stage is more stable than it was under Trump. And foreign policy is supposed to be Biden's strong suit. We'll keep an eye on this. Uh, it is very serious, obviously. I, di- I didn't want to just totally reduce this to the, uh, the horse race, which is what we like to focus the most on. But there we go. Uh, let me just say this. I know we have listeners all over the world. Uh, for anybody that knows anybody in this conflict, uh, my felt condolences. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Let's get to some audio. Joe Biden speaking to the nation on Tuesday afternoon. For 75 years, Israel has stood as the ultimate guarantor of the security of Jewish people around the world so that the atrocities of the past could never happen again. And let there be no doubt The United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. It's as simple as that. These atrocities have been sickening. We're with Israel. Let's make no mistake. Thank you. What was your reaction? The speech was a unequivocal condemnation of Hamas a full backing of Israel. It's going to be criticized for being as late as it was. Late on Tuesday is not responding to a troubled nation on Sunday or Monday. Furthermore, there was no mention of Iran. There was no mention of Hezbollah, the two other elements of this conflict that has the greatest capacity to escalate it Although you would imagine that they are the people that Joe Biden is directing a phrase he said during the speech that if anybody has any thoughts on escalating it, don't. Our hearts are broken, but our resolve is clear. 
One big piece of news that is broken is that American citizens are indeed among those kidnapped by Hamas and taken back to Gaza. While this was the first official confirmation of what was suspected, we don't get any kind of update as to how many, who they are, nor did we get any particular red line on their safe retrieval or a warning of reprisal should they die. You you would suspect that might have been an option, was not an option. Uh, Biden looking to keep the speech more of a bipartisan uniting of the country around a tragedy. All right. Uh, as many of you know, and look, I, I, this is not going to be popular. Will Hurd, a presidential candidate, has dropped out. There is normally a thing that we do. It is the campaign undertaker. We're going to save that for Friday. We will do the campaign undertaker. I just can't bring myself to do it right now. But we do have other news for you. RFK Jr. will no longer be running for the President of the United States as a Democrat. He has announced that he will shift his bid to a third party or independent run. That means that he will not be saying that he will bow out when Joe Biden secures that nomination. This strategic shift is anticipated to add a new facet to the upcoming election, which currently is expected to be a rematch between Biden and Trump. Kennedy Jr. initially launched his campaign in the party that his uncle and father helped make famous, at least in modern times, but has since altered his political course, embracing an independent stance instead. His background and unconventional positions, including his advocacy against vaccine misinformation and public health-related conspiracy theories, could introduce a fresh narrative to this election. And there are, I think, legitimate questions as to whether or not RFK Jr. takes more from Trump or Biden. That's probably a little premature, though, as we have no idea which states he will even be listed on the ballot for president. And finally, Joe Biden has voluntarily participated in interviews conducted at the White House regarding an ongoing investigation into how classified documents from his vice presidential tenure ended up at his office and home. The investigation sparked last year post-discovery of these documents has seen Biden's lawyers handing things over to the National Archives with more documents later discovered at Biden's Delaware residence. This instigated the appointment of special counsel Robert Hur in January to delve further into the matter, and Hur is the one who spoke to Biden. The probe, contrasting with the preceding one involving Donald Trump due to its discreet nature, signifies a rare instance of a sitting president being interrogated in a criminal investigation. Historically, presidents like Obama, Bush, and Clinton have faced similar interviews, highlighting the gravity and unusualness of such high-profile inquiries. And that is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. World's moving fast. $3 level, you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. And 
there's a lot of news. So I'll be covering it. Let's get back to the show. Oh, yeah, by the way, we don't have a Speaker of the House. The Republicans are in the process of trying to negotiate with each other as to who will not only lead their party, but also the House of Representatives in general. Joining me to discuss this is somebody that pays a lot of attention to Congress. She is the host of the Congressional Dish podcast. She is my co-host on the We're Not Wrong podcast. She is the one, the only, the sparkling Jen Briney. Welcome back to the show, Jen. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, <laughs> obviously, he starts off with a sigh. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't realize I would be thrilled to talk about the speakership, but I am thrilled <laughs> to talk about the speakership considering everything else that is happening in, in the world right now. And uh, you know, this is a big day. As people are listening to this on Wednesday, there will be a meeting of the minds uh, of the Republican caucus, and they are going to attempt for the first time to decide who their new leader is going to be. We will get a little bit into that, but I wanted to get your perspective as to how we got here. Nobody in my uh, a sphere of influence watches Congress as closely as you do. So you had a great episode of Congressional Dish that you put out, and I wanted to just have you on to get your perspective. Uh, if you were to go as far back as you could on why a, a thing like what happened last week happens where you vacate the chair, how far back would you go? Well, I mean, I really think the basis of this is... I think you can go back, honestly, to 1996, which is the last time our government has been funded properly, because that's really how this all started, was because of the broken government funding process. What's supposed to happen is there's supposed to be 12 different funding laws that Congress takes nine full months to carefully craft, and they're supposed to be done by September 30th. That hasn't been done since 1996. And so what needed to happen on September 30th was that we needed to have a so-called continuing resolution, which I refer to as a, a government funding deadline extender. Yeah. And they needed to extend their own deadline. And that became our crisis point. Because if you don't get these continuing resolutions, or so they call them CRs, if you don't get the CR into law, then the consequence is that our government shuts down. And therefore, the Republican Party, because this is a Republican Party thing, starting in the 90s, has decided that these are opportunities to use our government functioning as leverage to get things into law that otherwise probably couldn't become law on their own. And because so, these, these these moments had become flashpoints. As soon as you stop putting all the time and effort and work into crafting the bills and funding them the way that you're supposed to, which is like you said in 96, that's the last that time that that happens, the alternative to that are omnibus bills and panic negotiations that eventually wind up becoming these gigantic read it in five minutes and vote on it super bills that have become the norm since 96, right? 
They have. And I do think we have to make a um, distinction between a CR and an omnibus bill. Yes. Because the omnibus bills are scandals. They really are. I've seen these things be over 4,000 pages long. They pass them right before Christmas. There is never enough time to read them because as someone who reads bills, I can tell you they take months to read. So when you present them and give someone a day to look through this, there's all kinds of stuff that can slip into law. Those are actual scandals. The CR, however, can be 10 pages because it's essentially just changing the dates. So it's the fiscal year ends on September 30th. They change the date to whatever the new deadline is going to be. So the CRs are not supposed to be a big deal until you stuff them full of crap that you're trying to get into law. Yeah. Um, I refer to them as legislative dingleberries because I'm a mature adult like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's how the CRs become scandals. But the omnibus is a different beast, and we are nowhere near omnibus yet because no, no, they not not done not, that work. not here. And and yeah. like I do think that they are related in that we we go from let's have all these fights over months. Let's let's have these fights in committees. Let's have everybody scream and yell and stomp their feet, and then eventually you get to some kind of resolution. What we have done since the mid nineties is let's make all that conflict into two weeks (laughs) and maybe two weeks that is spread out over a few different crisis points. But there is no, nobody has the stones to actually make these arguments where they're supposed to be made. Instead, you just kind of hope that eventually you're going to scream and yell and say that you are the most pure until eventually somebody has to vote. And that's what either these continuing resolution fights are or the omnibuses are. They are not the same thing, but I do think that they operate in the same universe. They they are these last minute panic negotiation things. They are symptoms of the same disease. But the yeah. reason I think it's important right now to differentiate between them is that the people that were against Speaker McCarthy getting a CR into law were basically implying that they were the same thing because they were saying we need to do these 12 separate bills. And it's like, well, if you pass a CR, you can still do the 12 bills. Yeah, nothing's nothing's changed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A CR doesn't equal omnibus. They are different things. And yet so much of the, the rhetoric around what happened, why we came so close to the shutdown was people that were upset about an omnibus that wasn't a factor here. So I do think it's important to understand that all they were trying to do before Kevin McCarthy was fired was keep the government operational while they finished those 12 bills. Now, will they finish those 12 bills? The signs do not look good. (laughs) Yeah, They have finished exactly zero of them. So, And right now, without a speaker, they're not working on them. So we are on a high-speed train to an omnibus, but that's not what was happening last week. That's no. the distinction that I'm trying to make. Yes. They oh, did oh not. no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so this gets into something that now with a week behind us on it, I've listened to a lot of opinions, listened to a lot of very angry opinions on the Republican side, which obviously is very varied. Uh, but the one thing that I'm having a hard time squaring the circle on is that aside from bumper stickers that a lot of people, including me and you agree with on ways that Congress should be run better and how we should be addressing the the national debt. 
it doesn't seem like Matt Gates had much of a plan here. It seemed <laughs> like there was a lot of of this kind of bumper sticker stuff that, again, just saying the words, it's, like, you know, pay the teachers, save the whales. Like, yes, you're right. These are things that are broken with Congress. Yes, they should be fixed. But nothing that was happening. It's like, oh, I want to pay the teachers more. And that's why I should crash my car. Like, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> make sense. It doesn't it doesn't connect. No. Uh, and now that we're a week on. Matt Gates wins. He gets Kevin McCarthy vacated. And we're no closer to doing any of the things that he said he was doing it for. He said he hasn't no. even picked anybody. He hasn't even he's abdicated his role as kingmaker. He said, eh, you know, Scalise or Jordan, I don't know, whatever. We'll figure it out. Uh, but it, it, it's the reason why we're here doesn't seem to have borne any fruit. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. In fact, my favorite moment of this entire debacle was after they vacated the speaker. And I'm talking within 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. The chamber is silent and you just hear someone yell, now what? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Good question. Good question. Perhaps we should have pondered that before doing this because it wasn't like they had another speaker lined up that was going to do the things they wanted to do. We had just bought ourselves 45 days to work yeah. on these 12 bills. But they effectively shut down the House of Representatives by vacating the speaker. It's still shut down. And we actually we don't know how long this is going to go. So if if you're if the thing you're most upset about is that you're not getting these 12 bills, burning time on this drama is not helping at all. So I don't I don't know what the purpose of this was, if it was a personal vendetta. I mean, I think there was definitely parts of that. There's yeah. McCarthy. And then the, the the McCarthy people have spread far and wide that Matt Gates was very upset that an ethics investigation into uh, uh, Matt Gates's behavior was not shut down. I, I'm I'm a little dubious of that, only because there's a lot of people that are talking about an ethics investigation, but. If there was really an ethics investigation that had a lot of dirt at this point, I feel like somebody would have leaked it somewhere. We would have had names, dates and places of things that 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 Matt Gates that Matt Gates didn't want out into the public. Because at this point, Kevin McCarthy is is you know, just in the wind. Like uh, we were joking on we're not wrong that, you know, he's going to be growing weed with John Boehner in, in a, a couple months. <laughs> Well, and like you said, I watch Congress more than anybody else, and I forgot that there was an ethics investigation with Matt Gates because it's so not a topic. So I just, yeah. I don't buy that that was the center of this either. I just, I don't think that there was any plan here. No, I, I think it, it was, was just, just personal. It seems like it was yeah. just personal, at least. Like, there's, he wasn't even able to keep the Freedom Caucus together, mm -mm. you know? Bobert yeah. or like he isn't falling green was with McCarthy. Bobert yeah. was with McCarthy. I mean, people that you would think would be on the crazy train. were not there. And also so, it's like the, 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 he isn't even falling in line, but behind Jordan, which is the other thing. It's like, okay, well if the goal here is we don't want somebody who can calm down the moderates and maybe reach across the aisle, uh, uh, we want somebody that is more ideologically pure than 
Jim Jordan's your guy. Like, why the 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 concept of going from McCarthy to Scalise, if you are an ideologue like Matt Gates says he is, I I don't I don't understand it. I I I just I just don't I I, I don't get where the where where the upgrade is there, except for the fact that Scalise has blood cancer. And is not as good of a fundraiser as Kevin McCarthy, which is the other side of this is that like there's there's a you know, you know, this there's a lot of reality of why people get these positions, why people get speaker like and and oftentimes it's not because they're the best negotiator. It's not because they're the best legislator legislator. It's because they raise a lot of money. And guess what Kevin McCarthy did? raised a lot of money and got a lot of people elected that probably wouldn't otherwise. And now that's just, I mean, gone question mark. Yeah. And what's fascinating too, is you look at these people that are in the running now, Scalise and Jordan, both of them voted to keep McCarthy. Yeah. And there's indications that McCarthy is not. So he said he's not running again, but he okay. said that if chosen to serve, he would let's get, so let's get exactly into this out of it. <laughs> so, this this is where we are right now as we record Tuesday, October tenth in uh, uh, the mid or uh, the midday. There is going to be another meeting tonight with the Republican caucus. There was one on Monday, which people largely described uh, through reporting as a, a, a an airing of grievances. A letting of blood. There was a lot of yelling, but it wasn't, it didn't get poisonous. It was just a lot of people complaining, but not a lot of people getting together. Scalise didn't speak. Jordan didn't speak. Scalise and Jordan are going to speak tonight to their uh, uh, assembled brethren. They are the only two that have said that they are running. Hearn said he was running, then said he wasn't. So they are, they are going to speak to their people tonight. Let's also understand that the world stage has gotten very complicated over the last uh, uh, several days that all this is going on. The idea of the Republicans getting their stuff together faster than it might have otherwise gone seems to be a priority. And yet neither Scalise nor Jordan are anywhere close to the threshold that they need. Scalise can't lock down uh, uh, representatives from his own state and sitting in the wings are the break glass in case of options, including what has been mentioned and reported, at least Stefanik. Maybe it's a way to put a little perfume on this turd sandwich is to make her the first uh, female Republican uh, speaker of the house or the funniest option, which is after all this, everybody just votes Kevin McCarthy back into office. And <laughs> and he seems to be saying there was a report that he was going to quit Congress. He pushed back on that. And now he had a, a, a confab with with press people to talk about Israel. And then that wound up segueing into, well, you know, if called upon, I would be speaker of of, of, of the House again. So you are looking out into this field. Give me who you think would be able to do it and and who, if you are choosing from those four, you believe would uh, be the most effective. Let, let, let's do that. Let's not even say favorite. Let's just say most effective. 
I mean, I feel like if they were going to pick someone from the Republican side, I feel like picking an elder statesman. I keep thinking Tom Cole, you know, like no one seems to hate him in the Republican Party. I feel like someone like that would be a good pick. But out of the four that seem to want it right now. Yeah. I actually think Scalise could be the most effective. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's because the, you know, the Matt Gates gang, they like him. There's no personal problems there. Yeah. Um, He seems to be more McCarthy-esque. Like, I don't know if he would bring us totally to the brink, um, if he would take us over the debt ceiling or if he would shut down the guard. I don't know. Um, and that's the problem. I don't know if anyone's going to be able to be effective in the Republican party, if they're going to continue to do only vote on things that Republicans want, if that's the way they're going to govern this, that it's Republican rule and that's it. The Democrats don't exist. I don't know that anyone's going to be able to corral this herd of cats. Um, so effective wise, I'm not, I'm not really sure anyone can do it. There is no name certainly not out of the four that we're looking at that I think could pull that off. I think it would have to be someone who doesn't want the job, ironically, who's been in Congress forever. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like, cause I, I can't think of anyone who can actually pull well, this cause off. That's, that's the, the other thing is there was a lot of conversation and there's less now, which makes me think that this is not going to happen about, okay, you want to know what? Whoever gets to be speaker, the moderates are going to say, we're done with this one person motion to vacate thing. That's out. We we will not vote for a new speaker unless that changes. And all the deals that the Freedom Caucus made to get McCarthy in there, all the uh, committee assignments and everything that, that you guys negotiated for because you held McCarthy over a barrel in January, those are done. Those were McCarthy deals. You made them with him, and then you decided that he needed to get out. So that's that's out. We're going to take these people off of their 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 committee ships. And if that's the case, then you kind of wonder, all right, what is a more normal GOP speaker look like compared to the deal that McCarthy had to make? So the problem with that, though, is that in this debacle, it was Gates that won. Yeah. So he's not in a less powerful position now. I don't think anyone's going to get the speakership by standing up to these people now that this has actually happened. But I the question is even who is who is these them. people, right? Like is half the ones that that were Gates, the blockade. Biggs, Bishop, yes. Rosendale. There we go. I mean, we've we've got yeah. their names. Burchett. Like we know who they are. Um and they're not But not some I of understand. them but not some of them that were there before, right? It's not Chip Roy. It's not Bobert, it's not, you know, there, there, there are the, the numbers from the blockade initially have dwindled. Now, they dwindled enough Depends. that he was able to to uh, get vacated, but they are smaller than they were in January. So we don't know. This is a rotating cast of characters that have their own issues. So like Marjorie Taylor Greene has decided that her thing is like not one more penny for Ukraine. Um, Chip Roy is all about the funding process. So at any point, those other people that didn't vote to vacate McCarthy, they're not in that list of eight. They could come back and be troublemakers in this speaker fight. Like we don't really know what they're saying in that room. There was 21 people 
there was a continuing resolution that had pretty much everything the MAGA people were asking for. It had massive changes to border pro- uh, uh, border policies. It had yeah. 30% cuts to literally everything in the government that didn't have to do with defense. It was wild. And 21 people voted against that. So when I look at the people that are kind of wild cards in the Republican Party, my number is 21, not eight, even though it was eight that kicked out McCarthy. Okay. So we don't know what's happening behind those closed doors and what their red lines are. Um, we don't know what kind of concessions they're going to want from Scalise or Jordan or Stefanik or whatever random name comes out of this. And we haven't mentioned the Democrats yet, but this is one of those situations where they would have to vote affirmatively for whatever the new guy was if there was going to be compromise. Because one of the things that drove you and I crazy and anyone who listens to We're Not Wrong knows this. Yeah is that the Democrats had an opportunity to just stay on the sidelines and none of this would have happened. Yeah. For the Democrats to step in and help in any way now to pick someone, they're going to have to vote for someone. So I don't see where the life raft is. So even though I know people want to send more money to Israel, and that's something the Republican Party would absolutely be. They want it, yeah. They want it and they want it fast. I don't see the name. I don't see who can get these people to agree when they couldn't agree a week ago. Yeah. The que- the question is, is has this embarrassment and let's, let's get sociopathic and understand that politics is a game of attention. There's a gift that was given to you, a gigantic mm-hmm. world event eclipse. The fact that you just embarrassed yourself and you have no path forward Everybody suck it up. No one's going to be looking at you in the same way that they would have otherwise get this thing forward and then say, look, we are giving money to Israel. One thing on the Democrats before we move off them, there's a a lot of people, you know, that that have. uh, Why are you talking about the Democrats is the Republican thing. We if you want to listen to us complain about the Democrats, go listen to we're not wrong. That was recorded right after everything happened. We spent a lot of time. You spent a lot of time talking about it on Congressional Dish. So we don't need to rehash it except for one thing. (laughs) Watching the Sunday shows, because as you've pointed out on we're not wrong, it's only me and your grandparents that are watching it. So uh, the head of the Democratic caucus and this shows me that nobody was planning for this says on, I believe it was ABC's This Week, you want to know what? George Stephanopoulos is interviewing him. You want to know what, George? The American people sent us to Washington to work, not to vacate the speaker. Oh, my God. He did not. And I'm like, (laughs) you voted to vacate the speaker. Oh, my God. You can't do that. I mean, like, and and Stephanopoulos didn't call him on it, which is like, like, come on, man. Like, you should make him at least explain, no, what I meant, because it gets into this incredibly partisan D.C. brainworms. like, well, no, of course we're going to vote to, you know, vacate the speaker when they say that they're going to vacate the speaker because that's just... You know, the the thing you do when you're when your enemy is down, of course, you stab him in the eye like that's the only thing that you should do that. That's the that's the way it works. It's like, well, no, not necessarily. You didn't necessarily have to do it, uh, uh, nor do I think necessarily you're going to get somebody. I think it's very likely that Jim Jordan is the dude. I I, I mean, if I if I if I were to bet, if I were to bet, I would say right now, Jim Jordan has the 
the, the, the whip count is going up and down. So we'll, we'll, and when you're listening to this, dear listener, you will know more than we, than we will know, but he's got Trump's endorsement. He, at this point just needs to go to every moderate and say that Jim Jordan, you knew is gone. I used to be the Matt Gates. I used to be the the guy throwing a wrench into things. Now, the only thing that's the same is that I have the same aversion to putting on my jacket. Other than that, I'm ready to be a statesman. I I, I was a loyal person. I never said boo about McCarthy through the speakership fight in January. I never did anything but be loyal to him throughout all of this process. I voted to keep the government open. This is a new man that you're seeing, uh, but I got the same street cred. This is the only way forward. Scalise is not that that is what he's going to have to convince these moderates of. Now, whether or not the moderates are are going to believe it or they're just going to say, oh, cool. okay, the end of my political career. Awesome. Yeah, we'll make Jim Jordan our speaker. And so the the person that I run against in in a Biden plus 10 district is just going to point to you and say, no. How about you don't have this uh, crazy person as your as your speaker and then I'm going to lose my job. That's that's going to be the question going forward. But what the, you know, group of eight to 21 wanted was a crazy person. They wanted someone who would shut the government down. And when I look at that list of four that we were talking about, Stefanik, Scalise, McCarthy and Jordan, Jordan's the only one that I'm like, yeah, I think he'd shut it down. I think he would breach the dead ceiling. Like I do think he might be one of them. So can he, I mean, you know, he'll never convince me that he's not yeah. that guy. Um, I don't know that he'll be able to convince the moderates either. So like I said, I, I don't know where this goes. Um, and I don't so, know if Israel is going to be enough to solve this. Cause that's the, other, so there is one way to look at it. This, this Israel situation did take some attention off of us not having a speaker. Yeah. But the longer this goes on, our own dysfunction, not being able to help our ally um, actually puts the spotlight back on it and 10 times more than it was before. So if on Wednesday, the 11th, when they said they were going to schedule their first vote, if that vote doesn't happen because they don't want to do this in public again, they don't want to have no. 15 votes that goes nowhere. So if they don't have the vote on Wednesday and that goes into next week, which is being suggested, there are people saying we should give ourselves another week. If that happens and there's more, the heat, the like heat as, is going to be on. And and right absolutely. now, and right now, there is somebody in the White House named Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. who desperately wants somebody else to point a finger to, because yeah. that is it is not good. We talked about it in in the first segment. The part of the reason why Joe Biden was elected was because things will be calm again. Things will have an adult. <laughs> and guess what? Foreign policy wise, something that was supposed to be a strong suit is anything but calm. You can say that he did a good job on, on, on Ukraine, but it's still going. We have a land war in Europe. We have more violence in Israel than we have seen in either of our lifetimes. Uh, uh, and we had an absolute disaster of a, of a withdrawal from Afghanistan. Biden wants anybody that he can say, your, it's your fault right now. And if, if the Republicans don't realize that and they don't realize, no, we need to. I, I forget who it was on, on one of the Sunday shows that said everybody in a room, no food, no bathroom breaks. <laughs> We're going to settle this today. We're going to settle this in hours. Uh, 
Keep taking votes. Eventually, we're going to find somebody. Now, here's my dark horse. Because if there's one thing that we know about following politics, and especially following legislative politics, is it often is the coward's way out. Whatever you would imagine the laziest possible solution that gets the most support. And the laziest possible solution is the current pro temp McHenry. Yeah. Who just kind of empower him somehow. Just say, because that's what the Democrats want. The Democrats are like, well, I don't know, you know, maybe the, it's never happened before. So if we all agree that the temporary speaker can do more than we uh, than is laid out explicitly, then maybe that's the case. And I wonder whether or not the logjam of finding a permanent speaker eventually gives way to the Republicans just saying, eh, well, we're, we'll keep talking about it, but. We're not going to close the government. Israel's too important. And so we're just going to empower McHenry. I I, I mean, I think the Constitution could be a problem there. (laughs) Like, I don't know what's allowed. Um, I think that's what's so scary about the situation. We don't know what's allowed. And we are looking at war on multiple fronts. And this Israel thing could expand to be the entire region very quickly. And we kind of need our Congress to make decisions about war and peace. I mean, Congress is not only supposed to be declaring war, but they're also the only body that's able to stop one if Joe Biden wants to throw us all in and we don't want to do that. So I'm seeing this not only as a, you know, a political problem, but I think it's actually dangerous for the country. And so if we were to have a vote like that, um, a matter of war and peace, sending American troops to somewhere else in the, the world and we're not really sure if that, that vote was even legal. I mean, we're looking at a constitutional crisis situation that is not that hard to imagine. Yeah. So I think they they need to pick someone. This whole McHenry thing, I mean, they can try it, but there are going to be constitutional scholars that go, what what is happening here? This person was yeah. never elected. So um, they need to figure this out. And it's becoming an international scandal that our government is this broken. I I think I agree with you that today, as people are listening, Wednesday, the 11th, this is a big pooper get off the pot moment for the Republicans in the House that that this does. If they allow it to go past today, they're asking to be the center of dysfunction during wartime. They are giving cover to, to Joe Biden, the guy that they hate. The most, uh, it's who is going to be interesting. Naval ships right now to Ukraine's shore, or not Ukraine's to Israel's shores. Yeah, so we do have American troops that are on the move as we speak. Like this is a big, it's a big deal that goes beyond American politics. And um, yeah, uh, Wednesday the eleventh is going to be a, an important day, and day I that- will be even if it ends up a Jim Jordan, someone that. I'm concerned about the next government funding deadline, which is November 17th. Yeah. Um, I am concerned that if we have a Jim Jordan as speaker, that we are going to have a shutdown. We do have another debt ceiling crisis that is set up for next year. Like I do have these concerns, but at this point we need someone just so our constitution, we need somebody behind the counter. Is intact. Right? Yeah. We need someone at this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like if, 
what I'm rooting for is just a little less chaos at this point. We, we just need someone to negotiate with, you know, like we need Biden to have someone he can call and be like, okay, you're in charge of the house. So it's, and that's, that's the big question. The big question is what is the Republican appetite for chaos after getting a big buffet just an all-you-can-eat buffet of chaos. Uh, uh, how hungry are you still to uh, uh, ram this one as far as it's going to go? Uh, well, Jen, of course, people can listen to your more authoritative uh, and audio-enriched breakdown of this speaker fight on Congressional Dish. And we will be talking about that and other things on our show. We're not wrong, right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me back on PXE. PX3. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics brought to you as always by you. Support us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to thank Jen Briney for coming on the show, it is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets for the show, Justin R. Young for me. Okay, you want to know what? This is going to be a little, this is all right. This is some tricky stuff here, but I'm going to only put this in here for you. If you're a real fan and you listen to the credits every episode, including to the Titanic $10 tier, I'm going to give you a little something that I just heard. We'll see. Mark this down. I'm recording this on Tuesday, October 10th. The old turtle might not make it to the finish line. It's a little hint for you. A hint. You're in whispers that, you know, old turtle's freezing up. Wants to make it to the finish line. Might not be able to might already be making plans that he won't. If you'd like to support us with a one-time donation, you can do so. PayPal.me slash pay jury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule and our Titanic. $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Including Ye old Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy McEnvoe, Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checkers. Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, His Nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic Terran, 
Molly's delightful demeanor. Adam, Chief Andy. Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, D-Really, Chopper, Andrew, and Adam L. You want to join their ranks? Only one place to do it. Take politics seriously. Dot com. We're going to talk uh, Will Hurd. We'll talk campaigns ending on Friday and... Uh, I'm trying to lock down something on Israel just to give us a little bit more perspective, but we will see. I don't know if that's going to happen Friday or next week. Till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only one that dares discuss all three. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.